Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Young people from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part, too. <laughs> They're doing their part. Are you? Join the mobile infantry and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Evan. Welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 147, Starship Troopers. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. This is for all you new people. I have only one rule. Everybody listens. No one quits. Welcome to Verbal Diorama's Roughnecks. And welcome back, regular returning listeners. I expect the best and I give the best. Here's the podcast. Here's the entertainment. Now have fun. That's an order. Before I go into Starship Troopers, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who listened to the couple of previous episodes on My Best Friend's Wedding and on Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea was a very special episode and I realised there's probably no other podcaster who'll cry on an episode about genetically engineered sharks. But here's the thing, if you put your heart and soul into something like a podcast, you are probably going to get remnants of that heart and soul in return. And I've always said that Verbal Diorama will never be a heartless corporate entity. That's just not the way that I do things here. And another thing is I've always said in the past, it seems fine to express glee on a podcast. But everyone is expected to be happy and smiley and enjoy things and think everything is fantastic. But when it comes to sorrow or grief or sadness, that seems to be really taboo on podcasts. And I really do think that we need to change that because grief and sadness and upset that is out there in the world everyone's experiencing it so I think you should be able to have a podcast and you should be able to talk about those things because that's what makes us human at the end of the day and just on a side note I wanted to thank everyone who messaged me and, and got in touch and told me how touched they were 
following Deep Blue Sea. And then I, in turn, was touched by all of your lovely comments about Jess. The fact is, is that no cat is ever just a cat. And she was as unique and brilliant as they came. And honestly, she would be very smug and very purry if she could read all the lovely comments that she's had over the last couple of weeks. She was genuinely one of a kind. She is irreplaceable. And you will notice that no matter any episode of Verbal Diorama that you download now or you listen to now, she is featured at the end of every single episode. And that is intentional. And she will continue to be featured on the end of every single episode going forward as well. That is something that I want to do for her. People who are just generally listening, they probably won't really get it because it's just a little bit at the end, but it's just something for me just to say that, yeah, she is still here. The other thing that kind of came from everything that happened in the last few weeks was I am completely behind. I was completely behind in my schedule because I had a little bit of time off with her, but I'm almost caught up on the schedule now. That means the episode I was going to do last episode on The Crow is coming and I'll give you a bit more information about when that's coming at the end of this episode. But really, we need to get into Starship Troopers because this is a fascinating movie. I guess really the only question is, do you want to know more? Here's the trailer for Starship Troopers. Rico, what's the moral difference, if any, between a civilian and a citizen? citizen accepts personal responsibility for the safety of the body politic, defending it with his life. A civilian does not. The exact words of the text. But do you understand it? Do you believe it? I don't know. Most of you will not live to be in the mobile infantry. The trouble is you are not good enough the way you are. Answer your side. fights no one quits don't do your job i'll shoot you you get me we get you sir Tell you something. I'm from Buenos Aires, and I say kill them all! Yeah! Yeah! 
Johnny Rico follows his high school sweetheart into the military after they graduate high school to fight for the Federation and to guarantee citizenship. Their enemy, the bug aliens of the planet Klendathu, who are as ruthless and violent as the humans they're facing up against. As Johnny is punished for the accidental death of a fellow soldier in a training exercise, he decides to leave the infantry and return to his parents in Buenos Aires, just as the insectoids send a huge asteroid to destroy Buenos Aires and kill all its inhabitants. Enraged, Johnny decides to do his part. The only good bug is a dead bug and kill them all. I was all quickly went through the cast. Casper Van Dien as Johnny Rico. Dina Meyer as Dizzy Flores. Denise Richards as Carmen Ibanez. Jake Busey as Ace Levy. Neil Patrick Harris as Carl Jenkins. Clancy Brown as Sergeant Zim. Seth Gilliam as Sugar Watkins. Patrick Muldoon as Xander Berkelow and Michael Ironside as Jean Rajak. Starship Troopers has a screenplay by Ed Neumeyer, is directed by Paul Verhoeven and is based on Starship Troopers by Robert A. Heinlein. And really, the book is probably the best place to start with this story. Written in 1959, it was a controversial novel on its release. It was written in reaction to the US suspending nuclear testing and was first published as a two-part serial in US fantasy and sci-fi magazine, The Military of Fantasy and Science Fiction as Starship Soldier, and published as a novel in December 1959, winning the Hugo Award for Best Novel in 1960. Considered a coming-of-age story, as well as a critique of American society, moral decline, and depicting a future advocating corporal and capital punishment. Critics towards its glorification of the military and the fact that government and military service was a prerequisite for the right to vote led to the novel being deemed fascist. Regardless of the movie, it's also seen to be highly influential in science fiction, especially political science fiction, with several key moments and items in the book, Starship Troopers, influencing future works of fiction as well as in film. A really good example is the exoskeletons that are used in the book. They are very similar, for example, to the exoskeletons used in Edge of Tomorrow. Obviously, that's not the only example. There are many more, but it's always the first example that springs to my mind when you talk about exoskeletons. The movie, though, didn't start out as an adaptation of the novel. Sort of. The original story, titled Bug Hunt at Outpost 9, was influenced by Starship Troopers to a degree and writer Ed Neumeyer was a fan of the novel as a child, but it was originally written as a completely separate story. Neumeyer was also one of the writers of Robocop, also directed by Paul Verhoeven. Verhoeven had tried to read the novel Starship Troopers, but it made him bored and depressed, so he never actually finished it, asking Neumeyer to explain it to him. Because Bug Hunter Outpost 9 was basically space marines fighting alien bugs in space, the producers looked into purchasing the rights to the name and plot of Starship Troopers and remarkably found that the rights were available. This meant the original screenplay could be reworked and could utilise characters, settings and plot details of Starship Troopers while also differing from the book in key areas, including the fact the movie is clearly a satire and undermines the political ideology of the novel, as well as minor plot differences. Characters will merge from the book into the film, such as the teacher and the leader of the Roughnecks, who were two separate characters in the novel, becoming the character played by Michael Ironside as a returned military general turned teacher coming out of retirement to fight the books. But really, the main reason they wanted to call the movie Starship Troopers and use the material of Starship Troopers was to capitalise on the success of Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers was a co-production between TriStar Pictures and Touchstone Pictures. 
which is why it's available on Disney Plus. It is available on Disney Plus here in the UK. I assume it's available on Disney Plus everywhere else as well. While Starship Troopers was in production, it notably went with very little studio interference, mostly because the studio heads were constantly changing at Columbia. And because of all of the turmoil, no one thought to check in on Paul Verhoeven's Spacebug movie. Verhoeven, at the time of Starship Troopers, had previous four high-budget, violent, special-effects-laden sci-fi movies, such as Robocop and Total Recall, each of which had won an Academy Special Achievement Award in sound effects editing and visual effects, respectively. He'd then go on to make Basic Instinct, the crowning glory of erotic thrillers, which also received two Academy Awards. His next movie, Showgirls, was poorly received critically, but became a home movie commercial mental success. In many ways, Starship Troopers is a return to the violent, graphic, thematic, special effects laden sci-fi that cemented his early Hollywood career. It's worth noting, though, that his career in the Netherlands goes way, way back from his career in Hollywood. And it was Verhoeven's early life that inspired much of the feel of Starship Troopers. Verhoeven was born in 1938 in Amsterdam, and in 1940, Germany invaded the Netherlands, despite the Netherlands declaring neutrality. In 1943, the Verhoeven family moved to The Hague, the location of the German headquarters during World War II, next to a German military base which was repeatedly bombed by Allied forces. In 1944, the Allies liberated the south of the country, but the rest remained under German occupation until 1945. So war, and everything to do with war, was most of Paul Verhoeven's childhood, and images of violence, death and danger remained with him. It's not hard to imagine where he got the idea for this movie's use of Nazi imagery, uniforms and propaganda. He also had military experience in the Netherlands in the 1960s, enlisting in the Royal Dutch Navy as a conscript post his graduation from university. And while on Verbal Diorama, I make a point of talking about the history and legacy of a movie, it's kind of part of the blurb after all. Starship Troopers feels like it should have been one of the biggest, most important satires of all time rich in all these layers of irony and critique. And yet, at the time of its release, which I will come to later, hardly anyone picked up on the blatant satire that they thought it was just a big, dumb action sci-fi movie. And here's the thing, if you just enjoy this movie because you think it's a big, dumb action sci-fi movie, then that's cool and more power to you because however you enjoy a movie, just enjoy a movie. You don't have to pick up on all the references to appreciate Starship Troopers as a big, dumb action sci-fi movie, it's really a lot of fun. And then you start to look a little bit deeper. The federal network advertisements prevalent throughout the movie for the mobile infantry are a bit of a staple in Verhoeven's movies, as I'm going to come to. The opening sequence was adapted shot for shot from a scene in Lenny Riefenstahl's World War II German propaganda film, Triumph of the Will. This movie is, in essence, what would have happened to the world had the Nazis won. We would be in a United Citizen Federation and actively encouraged to become a citizen and a good citizen at that. You'd be then granted the right to vote, to take office, to get the necessary licenses to breed as long as you enlisted in military service. The Hopeford wanted Beverly Hills 90210 in space where every character is beautiful and willing to serve seemingly straight out of high school because that is the ideal time to brainwash someone into believing this is the correct way to do things. The cast for this movie were chosen because of their physical attributes. Caspar Van Dien isn't the Johnny Rico from the novel, who is a young man, a wealthy young man of Filipino heritage. 
but more in line with Hitler's Aryan ideals. Blonde hair, blue eyes and handsome. This isn't a coincidence. Everyone is beautiful and selfish and completely believes in the cause that this government has repeatedly reiterated. And that serving that cause is the ultimate honour, whether that's in the mobile infantry, the fleet or in military intelligence. Dying for that cause seems to be a secondary thought because all of the propaganda is, we're winners, we win, they lose. Vilifying the enemy with one-sided opinion and we need to completely not empathise with anyone in the movie to see just how bloody awful they all are. Starship Troopers purposely invokes Susan Sontag's list of the ruling fetishes of Nazism from her 1975 essay Fascinating Fascism, which is the cult of beauty, the fetishism of courage, the dissolution of alienation in ecstatic feelings of community, the repudiation of the intellect. And if you complete your service and almost die in the process, not only will you march back into battle, you'll also recruit more young soldiers to the cause. In war, the only reward is more war and more chances to die serving your country. And because the movie's advertising played it straight, the fact it's a satire on war, militarism, jingoism, nationalism, fascism, ideology, the nature of war and violence went over most people's heads. And I'm going to come to the critical and commercial response later because I genuinely think it's one of the most fascinating things about this movie. Not only is Starship Troopers an effective satire and its themes hold up, because it's almost seemingly predicting the course of extreme right-wing political values that have become more and more prescient in modern society. Maybe, save for the public capital punishment, lashes and televised death penalties, it also remarkably holds up visually, too. Much has been said for late 90s CG, but this movie effectively mixes CG bugs with physical puppets. All thanks to Phil Tippett. It's been said that Paul Verhoeven refused to do Starship Troopers without Phil Tippett's involvement. The pair had first met on Robocop, which, just on a side note, I will get to on this podcast at some point. I know a lot of people have suggested Robocop as well as Total Recall, and I love both of those movies, so we'll get to them eventually. But they had to convince executives. So a test reel for special effects was shot at Vasquez Rocks National Park, north of Los Angeles, with Olympic gold medalist Mitch Gaylord playing a soldier being chased and killed by bugs. Paul Verhoeven was shooting showgirls at the time, so the showreel was developed by Phil Tippett and pitched to Sony by Tippett, along with producer John Davison and screenwriter Ed Newbuyer. After several questions from Sony executives about where is the mouth on the bugs, how do the bugs eat, how do they eat people, the team pitching confirmed that the bugs don't actually eat people. They don't care about people, they just kill them. The screen test is actually really fascinating. It's only about a minute long, but it's actually really indicative of the books that we see in the finished movie. And bear in mind, this is just a screen test as well. I will put a link to the screen test for the books themselves in the show notes for anyone who's interested in seeing that. After going through the hierarchy of the studio, they eventually got to studio head Mark Canton, who asked if the movie was going to be fun. They said, hey, it's going to be fun. So Canton gave the go-ahead to make Starship Troopers. And when it came to the design of the bugs, World War II inspired the concept and design with infantry warrior bugs, a huge flamethrower bug like a tank, bugs that shot plasma missiles out of their bums, and dive-bombing bugs as well, with the thinking bug being like the king or queen or the leader of the opposition, the one who strategizes and basically has an entourage, the team researched insect behaviour using documentaries and scouted ideal locations 
which included the badlands of Hell's Half Acre in Wyoming, to double for the Bugs Planet Clendathu. And it goes without saying, especially if you have someone like Phil Tippett involved, Jurassic Park was a huge influence on Starship Troopers, and not just for Tippett's involvement, but Starship Troopers also utilised the digital input device, or dinosaur input device as it was known for that movie, or DID, made for Jurassic Park. A call to stop motion animators was put out to generate bug armature, from which they could generate a digital design for each bug. And that was built the same way they built digital dinosaurs for Jurassic Park. Amalgamated Dynamics, who I've also mentioned countless times on this podcast because you know I'm a huge fan of practical effects, but Amalgamated Dynamics are geniuses when it comes to practical effects. I mentioned them for their practical puppet work in Tremors, for example, which still looks fantastic, by the way. They came on board for the practical bugs, which are then mixed pretty seamlessly with the CG bugs. Starship Troopers would have 250 digital shots, which sounds like nothing nowadays when you have movies with thousands and thousands of digital shots. But most of those shots included swarms of digital bugs that simply couldn't be done with practical effects. But if you had a bug impaling a human, that could be practical until the person was chopped in half, which would then be digital. Phil Tippett, interestingly, would go on to direct the sequel to Starship Troopers, Starship Troopers 2, Hero of the Federation. And additionally, interestingly, screenwriter Ed Neumeyer would go on to direct Starship Troopers 3, Marauder, which again, I have not seen. I'm going to talk about sequels a bit later. But mostly, this was a movie that utilised as many practical effects as possible. The tunnel explosion at the end was a real fireball and was incredibly dangerous to shoot. The actors basically just had to keep running no matter what, otherwise they would be consumed by a real explosion. Starship Troopers also utilised miniature effects and animatronics. Oscar winner Dennis Muren has a theory that practical effects give CG artists a tangible basis for their work to blend into, rather than relying on all digital effects which may not have that realistic look. Which I think is a great theory with a lot of merit behind it, especially when you look at a movie like Starship Troopers. A great CG shot will never look like a CG shot. And despite it now being 25 years old, Starship Troopers CG mostly goes unnoticed, and that's a good thing. Paul Verhoeven was very involved in the everyday nitty-gritty of filming Starship Troopers, including drawing over 4,000 storyboards himself and delivering them to the storyboard department. He would teach the young actors how to act in front of green screens, as well as pretending to be a bug while on location to give them something to react to. Famously for the co-ed shower scene, the young cast was nervous to film nude and Dina Meyer dared Verhoeven to direct it nude, which he did, along with cinematographer Jost Vaccano. Vaccano himself had been raised in a nudist camp, so was quite comfortable with the idea. Verhoeven himself would comment on the... Verhoeven himself would comment later on the strange reason why America would censor nudity but not extreme violence. Verhoeven would add a topless scene for Denise Richards' character Carmen which she refused to do. Vietnam veteran and regular military advisor for film and TV, Dale Dye, assisted in training all the recruits, uh, I mean actors, for the infantry. Sorry, that's terrible acting there. <laughs> terrible acting, everyone. <laughs> this is why I'm not in Starship Troopers. Even Denise Richards signed up for this training. And that was despite her character having little on-screen military action because Carmen is a fleet officer, she's a pilot. But what that did is it actually helped all the actors bond. They all took part in a rigorous military boot camp. There was no special treatment for anyone. Everyone was treated like a real recruit. 
they were sleep deprived and they were pushed to their very limits. Even extras were trained in the same way. Dai selected several extras who were trained up and then they were given their own platoons of extras to train. While mandatory military service exists in many countries across the world, like Israel, Finland, Greece, Cyprus, and South Korea, none of those conscriptions grant you additional powers that civilians don't have, or at least not to my knowledge. And can you even say that it's a positive that racism and sexism don't seem to exist in the Starship Troopers universe? Because it seems weird to call anything in the world of Starship Troopers positive. Obviously, Starship Troopers came out in 1997, which, lest we forget, was 25 years ago. And for anyone who was alive 25 years ago, and I assume many people listening to this podcast were alive 25 years ago, you'll remember the very first iterations of websites. And the Starship Troopers website was one of the first interactive sites where people could sign up as troopers and actually feel like they were getting involved in the movie. The site is no longer available. It's been replaced by a modern site, which is at starshiptroopers.com. And that shows the Traitor of Mars 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray. But if you go on a trip on the Wayback Machine, which is a wonderful site that you can basically see snapshots of historical internet sites, you get a lovely black and green HTML site. It doesn't completely work because remember when we all relied on Shockwave Flash? According to the site, it's best experienced with Shockwave Flash Netscape 3.0 or higher or Internet Explorer 3.0 or higher. So that is how old that site is. But its original design was reminiscent of the federal network ads. And basically, if you did want to know more, you could sign up, which is actually a pretty genius way of marketing your movie. And the use of ads in Starship Troopers might seem pretty revolutionary, but Robocop and Total Recall both utilized similar ways to show how TV can manipulate society into making us angry or by pacifying us. It was a way to provide exposition into the status of this world society without an opening crawl or any narration. From the initial implication of child soldiers in the military, it clearly depicts a society devoted to military power and excess, showing how xenophobic this world is and how biased this media can be. Obviously, this is essentially state-run TV. No time is spent discussing how humans encroached on the arachnids' world and that the arachnids could just be defending their citizens, but basically that humans have the right to be anywhere and take anything they want. These ads are designed to seduce the audience into joining this fictional fascist military, but then to get them to ask themselves why. As long as children are stomping on books to do their part, as their mother cheers them on, then it's fine, right? Right? <laughs> but the problem was that most people just didn't get the ironic use of state-run propaganda in a fictional fascist utopia. Ultimately, this is a beautiful cast doing their part for their perfectly beautiful fascist world. And the resulting love triangle slash love square was never a part of the novel. It was considered too immoral at the time for Carmen to be in love with both Johnny and Xander. So this was cut to show her breaking up with Johnny and then just being flirty colleagues with Xander. Test audiences suggested it was too progressive that Carmen would choose her career over a man, and some thought that she should have died instead of Faithful Dizzy. But while the filmmakers refused to change the outcome of Carmen's decision, they did remove a kiss between Johnny and Carmen after Xander's death. And this is a movie that does hold up incredibly well, not just for its themes and its looks, but also for its characters in a way as well. Because I really do feel like a character like Carmen is probably in the 90s going to be expected 
to want the man and to end up with the man. So the fact that she actually chooses her career is quite progressive for the time. And let's be honest, it's something that women do all the time, every day. And it's not immoral for a woman to choose her career over anything else. Whatever a woman wants at the end of the day. Speaking of what women want, I love these segues. Speaking of what women want, it's time for the obligatory Keanu reference. So this is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And this one was quite easy, really, because Keanu was considered for the role of Johnny Rico, along with reportedly Mark Wahlberg, James Marsden, Josh Brolin and Jason Priestley. But obviously the point was, was Verhoeven wanted a very Aryan-looking person, which is why Casper Van Dien, although he's not a big name, was chosen for the role. And obviously Keanu Reeves is not blonde, he's not white, and he's certainly not arrogant enough to play the part of Johnny Rico. So... I mean, that is really the best obligatory Keanu reference that we could get. I can completely understand why Verhoeven went down the Casper Van Dien route. Because let's be honest, Casper Van Dien does fit that very singular image of essentially what Hitler was looking for all the time. I've mentioned some of the marketing for the movie. I've mentioned the website and I've played the trailer at the start. And the trailer that I played very much plays it straight, mentions none of the satire, and basically seems to be in the vein of a straightforward alien invasion movie. And I can only think this might have been a response to Independence Day, which came out the previous year, because that obviously very successfully blended comedy and alien invasion. And so I do wonder whether they were going for that particular route with this particular trailer. But generally, none of the advertising really seemed to pick up on the satire or the irony of what Verhoeven was trying to do. And as I'm going to come to, when the movie was released, it really, really struggled. First of all, it was moved from a July release to November, mostly because it was thought that Air Force One was more commercially viable for a summer tentpole slot by the studio than Starship Troopers would have been. Whether it would have fared better in the summer it's really hard to say. It was released on the 7th of November 1997 in the US and it did open at number one. And the second movie at that time was Bean, the Mr. Bean movie. Starship Troopers, though, by its third week, it had dropped to nine in the box office. It was basically just getting lower and lower. By its sixth week, it left the top 10 completely. And I think it was because people just didn't know how to react to this movie. Were they supposed to enjoy it? Were they supposed to be thinking about it? Were they supposed to take anything away from this movie? And I certainly don't think the marketing helped very much. And possibly if you go and see a movie like this and it's basically just a load of beautiful people smashing up a load of bugs, then yeah, it works as a standard campy, fun action movie. But people didn't get there were so many more layers underneath. And this was an expensive movie as well. This cost $105 million, which, to be fair, Paul Verhoeven had had some huge successes with Robocop and Total Recall and Basic Instinct. And so, of course, the studio had every faith in him and this movie. It would eventually gross $121.2 million worldwide, but only $54.5 million in the US. It was considered a flop. And then it obviously found a following on VHS and DVD and is now considered a cult classic. And it's retrospectively seen as one of the best sci-fi movies of the 1990s, for absolute sure. The following month, obviously in December, saw Titanic being released, 
And obviously Titanic dominated the box office in 1997. And the problem for this movie was that critically it was misunderstood from the very start because critics didn't understand it was a satire. The critical denouncing would have hardly helped with the commercial success of the movie, but additionally with no real stars in the cast, except maybe Neil Patrick Harris, who was of course known to millions as Doogie Howser. And Neil Patrick Harris looks so young in this movie. <laughs> Just so young and so sweet in this movie. And then he puts on a Gestapo uniform at the end, but he starts the movie looking really sweet and innocent. It also attracted criticism from fans of Robert A. Heinlein's book, basically because they didn't think that it was a faithful enough adaptation. And technically, it's not a faithful adaptation. It takes the name Starship Troopers, it takes some of the plot and some of the characters, but otherwise, it's kind of its own thing. And a lot of people who are fans of the book didn't like that. When it came to awards season, it was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects, but it would lose out to Titanic, as most movies from 1997 did. It also won a Saturn Award for Best Costumes, and it was also nominated for Worst Picture at the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards, but it lost that to Batman and Robin. I've briefly mentioned sequels, so there were four sequels, including two live-action films. There was Starship Troopers 2, Hero of the Federation in 2004, and Starship Troopers 3, Marauder in 2008, which also stars Casper Van Dien. There were also two animated films, Starship Troopers Invasion in 2012, and Starship Troopers Traitor of Mars in 2017, which would star both Casper Van Dien and Dina Meyer, reprising their roles of Johnny and Dizzy. There was also a 1988 anime based on Robert A. Heinlein's book, Plus, a 1999 spin-off CGI animated half-hour television series of the movie entitled Roughnecks Starship Troopers Chronicles, which ran for 49 episodes, ending on an unresolved cliffhanger. But what do the listeners of this podcast think about Starship Troopers? Well, I like to ask people on social media and Patreon what they think about the movies that are covering. So we're going to start with the patrons, and we're going to start with Ian. And Ian says... This definitely falls into the so bad it's good category. A fun little film. I don't think it's so bad it's good. I think it's so good it's good. Personally, me. But it is very fun. Moving on to Brendan, who says, Conventional wisdom tells us that Robocop is Paul Verhoeven's best movie because it's a masterpiece, but Starship Troopers gives it a run for its money both as a scathing social commentary and a violently gonzo sci-fi action film. And I would absolutely agree. I think Robocop is better. Than Starship Troopers? Is Total Recall better than Starship Troopers? I don't know. I feel like I'd need to think about that, but I do agree that Robocop is Paul Verhoeven's best movie. We also have a comment from Derek who says A future where democracy fails and an interstellar marine corps has to battle gigantic insects. What's not to love? What part satire? What part B level sci fi action? And all parts fun from start to finish. This movie is both super smart and super dumb. Do you want to know more? That is a really good way of summarising this movie. Super smart and super dumb. I like that a lot, Derek. And Derek, along with his wife, Laurel, they host the excellent philosophy, mythology and history pop culture podcast, The Midnight Mint, which has just celebrated 200 episodes. So you should definitely listen. I will pop some info in the show notes. Please make sure you take a listen to Derek's podcast. And the final patron comment comes from perennial commenter Andy, who says, there's no way this movie was supposed to be as good as it is. Verhoeven looked at Heinlein's book and decided to cast the so white he's translucent Casper Van Dien as Juan Johnny Rico. Which is a very good point, by the way. In the original source material, 
His name is Juan Rico. They call him Johnny. In this, he's just Johnny Rico. And that's just the tip of this fantastic camp film. Plus, Song 2 from Blur in the trailer. I did have a look on YouTube for a trailer with Song 2 in it, and I couldn't find it. But maybe I just wasn't looking hard enough. Andy also has a podcast. It's called Geek Salad. It is a veritable smorgasbord of everything geek and geek culture. There's over 200 episodes of that podcast to enjoy as well. So info in the show notes for Geek Salad. Please take a listen. Moving over to Twitter, we have Andrew Toynbee, who said, One of my favourite things about watching this movie is laughing at my 14-year-old self for just thinking it was a badass space marine monster movie. I'm glad I've grown as a person and can now understand this movie. It's so great. SFX on the books is still first class. At DW Lindbergh said, My second favourite of what I call the Hoven's subversive blockbuster trilogy after Robocop before Total Recall. So funny that the Hoven used plastic teenage actors to send up his idea of 90210 in space. Funnier that so many people don't get the joke. At Needed Rhodes said, Do we reckon the actors were in on the sarcastic tone of the film or did Verhoeven purposely cast BTV actors? I always wondered if they were in on the joke. At Movie Blog Merck said, I love Starship Troopers so much. At Harry Met Movies said, Great film, great satire and be interesting to find out some more about this one. At Backlook Cinema said, On Zoe's IG is written, this is for you new people. Everybody fights, nobody quits. If you don't do your jobs, I'll shoot you myself. Do you get me? Zoe loves that movie, saw the movie and read the book. Say we should feature that on our pod. I mean, you should. At Thief CGT said, Love it. As a teen, I love the action and the brutality of it. But as an adult, I've really dug its satiric aspect. Look forward to your episode. Thank you. At Kelly Madden 80 just put a gif up saying, I love it. At Kevin underscore the critics said, an awesome satire filled to the brim with 90s cheese and enjoyable action and humour. At Swayze of Arabia said, Starship Troopers is the right kind of cheese I dig very much. It has a pretty amazing cast and great battle sequences. It's an all-round amazing romp. At Leland underscore Steele said, I'd like to know more. Which is fortuitous, really, because hopefully you're listening to the episode and hopefully you now know more. Moving over to Instagram, at The Coolness Chronicles said, A masterpiece, and no one will sneak anything like it through the studio system again. And at Phoebe the Extraterrestrial said, Love this movie. No comments over on Facebook, but as always, a huge thank you to everyone, Patreon, Twitter and Instagram, for giving your comments for Starship Troopers. Because it feels like Starship Troopers simultaneously came out at the right time and the wrong time. A movie like this wouldn't go through the studio system now, or even then, if the studio wasn't in so much turmoil. The blatant brainwashing and propaganda, the Nazi imagery, everything is so carefully chosen to imply fascism, but it never promotes fascism. If anything, it's laughing at how ridiculous this future actually is, while playing that satire almost straight with a few nods to actual real Nazi propaganda films. People were expecting something like Star Wars, and when they didn't get that, audiences and critics revolted. And fast forward 20 odd years, and now I think people actually get Starship Troopers and understand how pivotal and important this movie is. This movie says so much about society and about a potential future that none of us want. And it does it in the simplest way, by having humans versus bugs, 
mostly down to the fact that I don't think there are many people out there, unless you are an insect scientist, for example, I don't think there are many people out there who actually appreciate bugs or insects. You know, a lot of people, if they see, and I know it's not a bug, I know it's an arachnid, but if you see a spider in your house, your immediate instinct is to get rid of it, to chuck it out the window or to kill it. Now, I'm not the sort of person who will squash an insect or a bug or a spider. If I see one in my house, I will get rid of it out of the window. I am not the sort of person who feels particularly comfortable with killing insects. I would not be a very good infantry soldier for Starship Troopers. I would just end up being killed by one of these huge bugs. But one of the things I really love about this movie is the fact that it's all a metaphor for fearing what you don't understand. And I think humanity is very guilty of this, of fearing what you don't understand. It's easier to fight than it is to actually discuss and ask questions. And I feel like that's something that Starship Troopers depicts quite well. And then you have all of these layers of fascist propaganda. And when you find out that a lot of it came from Paul Verhoeven's childhood, uh, a lot of the stuff in Starship Troopers has actually made me think quite a lot about the current war in Ukraine. Uh, and about how Russia is using its own state TV to show propaganda of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So as far as Russian citizens are concerned, they are, in inverted commas, saving Ukraine. They're using state-run TV to basically bolster their reasoning for invading Ukraine. And it's something that this movie is very clever in the way that it depicts that, how much of humanity will just blindly believe what they see on TV. And it's another reason why it's so important to have a varied, unbiased view in the media. So you don't just have one TV station always saying the same thing over and over again. It's another reason why I think free speech remains so important, but I think there's a big difference between freedom of speech and being able to spout as much hatred as you want. There's a lot to be said about a culture that promotes reactionary violence against discussion and sensitivity and reason. And Starship Troopers, as a satire, is incredibly self-aware of sending up that right-wing militarism while also being incredibly funny. And if you take away the action sequences, which are a lot of fun, I guess, you know, going back to Deep Blue Sea, the science probably isn't quite right, the physics probably isn't quite right, but... If you take away the action sequences and you analyze it as essentially uh, a satire, an indictment of fascism, then it's actually a really smart movie. And I think nowadays a lot of people are actually cottoning onto that. But as I said at the start, if you just enjoy this movie because it is a big, dumb action sci-fi movie, then that's fine. But if you haven't seen Starship Troopers in a while, I would absolutely recommend giving it another watch. Because you'll start to see things that maybe you didn't see before. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Starship Troopers. Get involved and help this podcast grow. Do you want to know more? To get involved and have your comments read out in episodes, simply comment on the thoughts posts that go up on social media. They usually go up on a Saturday. You can leave your comment on the movie and I will read your comment out on the episode and I will credit you as well. It's really that simple. Patrons do support this podcast financially, but if you want to support it without paying a penny, you can help this podcast reach more listeners by leaving a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. You can also retweet or like posts on social media. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama, or you can simply just tell your friends and family about this podcast. 
And if you like this episode of Starship Troopers, you might also like one of the following episodes. And this was really hard to choose, actually, because I don't really think I've covered anything like Starship Troopers in the past. Starship Troopers is so unique in so many levels. So I kind of went down the sci-fi creature feature route, went for episode 41, Tremors, because of amalgamated dynamics. Episode 57, Jurassic Park, because there are so many links between this movie and Jurassic Park. And also episode 114, Aliens, because Starship Troopers feels very reminiscent to Aliens on a few levels. I definitely think Aliens is a better movie in many respects because I love that movie. But if you enjoy Starship Troopers, I guarantee you will also love Aliens. Give me feedback. Let me know if you think I missed anything. Next episode. So The Crow is finally coming to this podcast. It's coming early for patrons and on the regular Thursday slot for everyone else. And I know this one was very eagerly anticipated. And so I know there was a little bit of disappointment when it didn't come out. So thank you for your patience in waiting for it. And it will be out next. And I'm very excited for that. If you do want to support the show, you can go to verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. Huge thank you as always to the patrons, Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Fern, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian M, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Ian D and Jason. Patreon guarantees citizenship. You can also check out my merch store at verbaldiorama.com slash merch where you can buy the mummy inspired t-shirts and you can also support this podcast. You can email me verbaldiorama at gmail.com to say hi or you can go over to verbaldiorama.com and fill out the contact form and say hi. Or you can pop over to filmstories.co.uk, you can check out the magazine and you can check out the articles online which I write as well. And finally... the ships. We have the weapons. We need soldiers. Soldiers like Lieutenant Stack Lumbridge. We're in the target area now, Captain. And Captain Carmen Abanez. This is the Captain speaking. All personnel prepared for run. Soldiers like Private Ace Levy and Lieutenant John Rico. Come on, you if you want to live forever! We need you all. Service guarantees citizenship. 